Today we're going to look across the pond and discover a frightening overreach by our friends in the UK. Welcome to Culture Shift, the Barry Ferris Show. We are living in an American culture that has shifted from tolerant to cancel culture, from decent to rude, from optimistic to cynical, and from relatively safe to increasingly violent. But it's not too late. I hope to equip you with a historical framework applied to current events so you can lead and get America back on track for good. Hey, welcome back to the Barry Farah Show, Culture Shift. In my, how it has shifted. Today, we're going to look at freedom of movement. You would think the freedom of movement is so basic that a government would never violate it. Yet, this past year, we've seen how quickly governments around the world have restricted the freedom of movement. And today, we'll look at the U.S. concept of freedom of movement and a crazy new law in the U.K. restricting it. Now, in the United States Constitution, freedom of movement is found in Article 4, Section 2, Clause 1. It's known as the Privileges and Immunity Clause. It prevents a state from treating citizens of other states in a discriminatory manner. And the right to travel from one state to another is part of the deal. The concept of the government allowing freedom of movement was well understood by the framers. The Privileges Clause states that the citizens of each state shall be entitled all privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states. But it didn't explicitly use the words freedom of movement. But that was cleared up in a case that came to the Supreme Court of the United States in 1823. There, the Supreme Court referred back to the Confederate Articles and said that freedom of movement is, in fact, an explicitly fundamental constitutional right. And in 1869, the Supreme Court further defined the freedom of movement as the right of free ingress into other states and egress from them. So, an example. The state of Virginia can't require a traveler from West Virginia to produce a passport. And looking at the history of the Confederate Papers, the Supreme Court said that the framers omitted the express words only because it was redundant. So here it is expressly. So the Supreme Court has continued to rule in favor of the right to freedom of movement. But last year, there were many restrictions of free movement. In April of 2020, a federal lawsuit was filed against a county in North Carolina. The claim was that their constitutional rights had been violated by an emergency order, and now I'm quoting, preventing them from accessing their homes. The lawsuit contended that the prohibition on the entry of -of out-of-state property owners violated the Privileges and Immunities Clause. Their lawsuit states, the plaintiffs seek a declaratory order and a preliminary and permanent injunction barring the defendant from unconstitutionally prohibiting the entry of the plaintiffs and further declaring that the county, which is Dare County State, that their emergency declarations are unenforceable. So what happened? The county settled with the homeowners in July of 2020. Freedom of movement is a big deal. Before 1823, it was assumed. Since 1823, it's clarified as a fundamental constitutional right. Later in 1868, the Supreme Court determined that a state can't inhibit people from leaving a state by taxing them. The right to travel was found in the Privileges and Immunities Clause. It was providing the right with a specific guarantee of a constitutional protection. And in 1999, the Supreme Court protected three separate aspects of the right to travel. Number one, the right to enter one state and leave another was an inherent right with historical support from the Articles of Confederation. 
Number two, the right to be treated as a welcome visitor rather than a hostile stranger was protected by the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution. And then finally, number three, for those who become permanent residents of a state, the right to be treated equally to the native-born citizens of that state comes from the 14th Amendment. So, within the United States, the freedom of movement is established, very clear, part of the Constitution. But what about traveling abroad? Well, in 1952, the United States made it unlawful to travel abroad without a passport. And that was a fairly widely accepted restriction. And the executive branch can deny or revoke a passport for national security reasons or when someone's trying to escape being punished for criminal conduct. These are considered by most of the population to be very reasonable restrictions. And in 1958, the United States Secretary of State denied American citizens travel based on suspicion that they were going abroad to promote communism. This was different. So the Supreme Court argued that the right to travel is a part of the liberty, and I'm quoting, of which the citizen cannot be deprived without due process of law under the Fifth Amendment. So the Supreme Court basically went on to say, if that liberty is to be regulated, it must be pursuant to the law, making functions of the Congress. Freedom of movement across frontiers in either direction and inside frontiers as well, was a part of our heritage. Travel abroad, like travel within the country, may be as close to the heart of the individual as the choice of what he eats or wears or reads. Freedom of movement is basic in our scheme of values. That's the Supreme Court. So, the Supreme Court struck down the travel ban against those who were going abroad to promote communism. The freedom of movement was allowed, even if the movement that was allowed had anti-U.S. sentiment incorporated within that freedom of movement abroad. So in 1965, the United States fashioned a rationale, and they, they went into this a, a test to kind of balance the Constitution, which was very well established, and reconcile those rights of the individual with the national security interests of the United States. The bent was that if you had no criminal record, the United States could not keep you from moving about, regardless of where you were going and what you were doing when you got there. And as long as you had an up-to-date passport, that included any kind of travel abroad. Later, the United States initiated this movement to chase uh, the rascal who had unpaid child support. The United States shut down their passports. But the Supreme Court argument against pursuing even that rascal went like this. All debtors should pay their debts. Debts for child support have a special moral force, but that does not justify tossing away a constitutional liberty so important that it has been a constant of Anglo-American law since Magna Carta and of civilized thought since Plato. Wow. In other words, even for the rascal deadbeat who was delinquent on his child support, the constitutional scholars say that if you have not committed a crime, you should be free to travel because it's a human right. Restricting this travel right violates basic constitutional and human rights, especially to and from the country of citizenship. So what's going on in the UK that has so many alarmed? Well, it really kind of accentuates a worldwide problem. The UK has long been a leader in international travel freedom. I mean, they were a world empire not that long ago, and they had to visit all of their subjects and their, um, all of their uh, uh, countries. And ever since, as a relatively small country with worldwide interests and worldwide impact, international travel is a necessity. They have family, friends, and business relationships all over the world, and they have for a very long time. 
They've been a beacon of the human right to travel freely ever since they wanted to go to India to get some of those yummy turmeric spices and wonderful tea in Darjeeling. Now, for comparison, let's look at the United States versus the United Kingdom in terms of international travel. In the United States, at, at the peak in 2019, when the dollar was strong and the economy was booming and travel was unrestricted, the United States had 93 million trips, and that includes a whole bunch of people who take many trips and the majority of people who had zero trips. But when you exclude Mexico and Canada, it drops all the way down to 42 million trips. And that's out of a population of 327 million, according to the U.S. Commerce Department. Let's compare that to the United Kingdom. They also had 93 million trips, but that's out of a population that's only 67 million, according to International Passenger Survey. And so the point is that the United Kingdom travels out of this country a whole lot more per person than we do in the United States. In fact, the Brits travel out of country five times more than Americans. So what in the heck is going on in Parliament? So last week, after just a few hours of debate, the House of Commons approved an emergency measure that will fine Brits who leave the country without a qualifying reason. How could such an internationally free country become so restrictive? What do they base this on? Let me tell you, it's based on a public health act which was passed in 1984. Remember that year? That's kind of crazy. I mean, we talk about the book 1984 all the time. That book was written in 1949, but it was a warning of how bad things will be in 1984 if tyranny merges with advanced technology. George Orwell just demonstrates in that book that if we allow government to strip us of our human rights and have that much control over us, it's gonna become grim. And that book was written by a Brit. Anyway, that 1984 law allows Parliament to restrict international travel, and what for? For health issues. And they're worried about COVID. But why? I mean, let's just take data from the Brits version of the CDC and let's find out what they found. They're well on their way to vaccinating the whole country. They rank second in the world for vaccines per 100 people. And they do a really thorough job of explaining to their citizens the benefit of vaccines. They show how uh, the diphtheria represented 41,000 cases back in 1942 in the United Kingdom. And after the diphtheria vaccine, it's dropped all the way down to just 10 per year now. They show how whooping cough had 85,000 cases in the United Kingdom in 1957, and now there's only 4,000 cases per year. And the most dramatic is the drop in measles. I mean, in 1968, there were 236,000 cases in the United Kingdom. And in 2019, only 2,400. Pretty impressive. So they argue that vaccines are good, effective. And this argument was made to the citizens at the end of January, 2021. Brits, look, vaccines are effective. Here's why. Only two months later, the parliament acts as if vaccines are not really all that effective. What's the problem? They think they need more control. I, I couldn't believe this, uh, and, and that, that it was an actual law, knowing what I know about the UK and their international travel freedom, until someone sent me the link. And sure enough, I looked it up. Legislation.gov.uk, there it is. So it's official. Even though 87% of those over 50 are already vaccinated, and even though 95% of those over 60 are vaccinated in the UK, you will now get fined almost $7,000 if you leave the country. You gotta be kidding. 
I mean, you used to be able to just book a flight and go do your business or go visit your uncle in Denmark or go visit the Spanish coast and enjoy the beach. Not now. To make sure you don't travel illegally, you have to fill out a travel declaration form. If you don't have one of the valid reasons, you can't travel. So what are some of the valid reasons? Uh, let's see here. Schedule 5 gives us the reasonable excuses to travel outside the United Kingdom. Where the work or charitable service or study can't be done remotely via Zoom or similar service and you have made an effort to try to do the work somewhere else in the United Kingdom without traveling, then you can fill out the declaration. Where the person is an elite, and I'm quoting, an elite sports person. Can't just be a good one. You got to be elite. A coach of an elite sports person. Or where it's reasonably necessary for the person to leave the United Kingdom to attend a funeral or wedding if you were part of the proceeding or very close family. I mean, that's so very nice. But you can't go to the wedding if you're just wanting to celebrate the occasion as a friend and you can't visit someone you know who is in the hospital in France unless it's your mom or dad. And, and you've got to have a reasonable belief that she's dying. Come on, Parliament, you got to be kidding. So they think it's okay to go and, and, and visit your mom if she's dying, but not if she's just been in a horrible car accident and needs to recover. She's going to recover for sure, but she's in recovering. She needs emotional comfort and support. Not allowed. Now, I thought the vaccines were awesome. Believe it or not, in the debate, the members of parliament admitted the, that the vaccine stats are good. The second best in the world. I mean, only behind Israel. They believe in the vaccine, but they don't want you leaving the country. This is what happens when the government loses sight of its role. It's part of community life. It's not supposed to direct and control all of community life. It's supposed to be more humble. It's really not the government's job to manage the risk of individual decisions. It should not interfere with all of our living arrangements, and it should certainly not interfere in the freedom of movement. Yet the law starts out in Section 8 with an onerous title, Restrictions on Leaving the United Kingdom. No person may, without a reasonable excuse, leave England to travel to a destination outside the United Kingdom. I mean, and then you get to the juicy part, Section 10, Enforcement. If an official, which they call a relevant person, so they have these officials that are relevant persons. If the relevant person determines that you're attempting to travel and you're not exempt from it, then they can use reasonable force to make sure that the traveler disembarks. And then you get to 7 section 11, which outlines the penalties, which are further enumerated in section 13. So up to 5,000 pounds. You gotta be kidding. That's $6,850 at today's exchange rate. But apparently this restriction to the basic human right of freedom of movement is only applicable to the plebes, just us normal folks kind of like times back when the king controlled everything. There's a class that is exempt from these restrictions. You will find this in Schedule 6. Diplomats are exempt. You are in the exempt privileged class if you're a representative of the government of British overseas territory. If you are part of the crown or a government contractor undertaking government work, you are exempt. If you are traveling on a vessel or aircraft operated by or in support of Her Majesty's armed forces, you are exempt. Now, in fairness, they have a lot of pressure to ease the restrictions, and I'm sure that's going to happen with as much as they travel. And they've got a list of other essential workers like road haulers and pilots. But what a lot of efforts to make sure the average Brit can't visit her niece in Germany. 
So back in the good old USA, we certainly can't cast any stones at the UK. Here we looked at a freedom that they are famous for. I mean, they really brought it to the world, international travel freedom. Yet, like so many in the US, they are over managing the COVID risk. And at some point we need to let people manage risk for themselves. The government can't really make you healthy and it can't really make you secure. A better way is to provide education on the real science of the issue without an agenda, let other sides of the equation be announced and communicated. There were more than two views on what was going on this past year. Allow that information to get out, encourage responsible behavior, provide logistical support, and deploy power with restraint. Otherwise, like our friends in the UK, the freedoms we are famous for will be restricted and enforced with expensive fines. To your success, and that depends on your freedom. God bless you. Hi, I'm David Farah. Thank you for listening to my dad's podcast, The Barry Farah Show, Culture Shift. Click subscribe now to be sure you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your friends on social media and give The Barry Farah Show your five-star rating. Check out today's show notes below this episode and at theberryfarrishow.com. This podcast is also available in video format at The Barry Ferris Show on YouTube. See you next time.